the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God works all things together for the good. For those who are in Christ Jesus, we have used this ad nauseum for those who are suffering and struggling. It really is true. We'll explore that verse next here on Abounding Grace. Indeed, we do use that verse to try and comfort folks around us who are going through it. But we've used it so much, it seems kind of trite at times. Well, today, we will be reminded of the glory of this verse as we continue our journey through the book of Romans here on Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner gets us right in front of Romans 8, verses 28 through 30. God's comforting providence. And there really is comfort in the midst of trials and struggles if we sit back and understand just exactly what Paul is telling us. Let's catch up with Pastor Gary and today's Abounding Grace. God's comforting providence. I truly hope this is as edifying for your listening as it was for me putting this sermon together. There's no way we can ever thank God enough for such a promise as we have in Romans 8, 28. Like the hymn says, when sea bellows, when sorrows like sea bellows roll, or all the troubles of life, here is a calm in the storm. Let us be in pain, let us be persecuted, but with Joseph in the dungeon we can find this cry. You meant it for evil, but God meant it. For good. We have a very precious promise in Romans 8:28, a pledge from our Heavenly Father that He will work good out of the worst troubles. Now, we need to be clear that this promise is not a blank check for a trouble-free life. The glory of this promise is that God's power, God's faithfulness, God's sovereignty lies at the bottom of the lowest pit of suffering. This is a suffering which in verse 17 sets the context. If so, that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We have seen in verses 18 through 25 that we groan along with creation. We are weak. And we wait for the full revelation of the glory of God. In verses 26 26 and 27, we are so weak that we don't know what to pray for as we should. So the Holy Spirit has to help us. So the whole context of 828 is our weakness, our sinfulness, our sorrow. And yet even here, When all the other props are pulled away, when Satan does his worst, 
when our bodies decay, God is our sovereign, faithful, vigilant guardian who is so working in our troubles that he will bring good out of them. Now, the very first words of this verse, and we know. Challenge all the howling of men against the doctrine of Christ or God's sovereignty. Because notice here, Paul doesn't give a long discourse and say, now let me explain how God can be in control and be working evil and yet man be free and accountable and responsible. No, he just goes right for the jugular and says, God providentially governs all things. And all believers know this to be true. God providentially governs and rules over all things to bring good out of them for his people. And we do know this is true because it is a cardinal doctrine of our faith. Of course, sadly, many within the church cry out against any mention of God's sovereignty. His providential control of all things suggests that if you came down with a horrible disease, that God has brought this, and you will draw angry question marks. But we will have to let them have their, only the devil does the bad things. And we have to leave room for man's free will, even though these things are of absolutely no comfort to the believer. Those doctrines are no comfort to us at all. When you are tempted or afflicted, When you are languishing on the sickbay, run to those doctrines to try and find comfort. You won't find it. It's like turning your bed of sorrows into a bed of nails. There's nothing there for us. Now we have to confess and rest in God's sovereign providence, or we are left with nothing but our own fears, our own delusions and confusions. Plus, we need to confess with all of the people of God of all the ages that our only help is in the name of the Lord, and his name is, Thy God reigneth, O Zion. Isaiah 52, 7 and Revelation 9, 6. And when we know this, when we know that God is actively working, ruling, shaping, controlling, guiding, preventing, moving forward in our troubles and calamities and our sufferings. When we know this, we can have hope. However great our pain may be, our frustration, our discomfort, we know that God is working and can work even in this to bring glory and good and blessing. And just as a side note as we begin today, I think it is very compelling that one of the most comforting verses in all the Bible contains one of the clearest statements of God's universal sovereignty over everything, including what we would most usually call bad, suffering, and evil. Because that is the context. It is almost as if God said to us, Do you want comfort in your trials? Do you want hope when you have reasons to be sad? Do you want to have a firm hope that God is going to bring good out of this? You don't know how. You don't know when he's going to bring good. And God says, 
It has got to be on my terms, not on your terms. And my terms are this. You must trust my holy, wise governing of all my creatures and all their actions, including you and all their pain and all your suffering and all the things that make you scratch your head and all the changes in the workplace and all the changes in your family and all the changes in your body and all the uncertainty in the world. Here is my condition of comfort that you leave to me the government of the world and the care of your soul and for you to confess and rest in my providence. Now, it would be easy, I suppose, for this verse to be twisted and perhaps that's why in the Greek the Holy Spirit gives first place to the verse to those who love God. Now, it comes later in the verse And of course, it is fine to put it there, but it is, and we know it is, good to them that love God. That receives the emphasis in the verse. Because this is such an incredible promise. It is as if the Holy Spirit says, listen, only lovers of God get to claim this. That even troubles will work out to their good. Walt Disney does not get to claim this for himself. That everyone lives happily ever after. In fact, that is stealing from the Christian worldview without Christ. Because without him, all things do not work out together for good. And God is actively working out all things to bring evil into the lives of unbelievers and judgment and calamities until they repent and believe the gospel. It's a humbling thing, is it not? It should be to be called a lover of God. That makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up on end. It is a precious description in the Bible. And it is found throughout Scripture. And always with many precious promises attached to it. And most often that I will be your God. You love me. I will walk with you. And I will be your God. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is for you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, strength, and mind. It's almost as if to be a lover of God is the ABCs of our religion, and it is also the PhD lesson. It is the gate of true religion, and it is also the mountaintop of true religion, to love God. Now, of course, all kinds of people will say, well, I love God. But how do you know we love God? And therefore, how do we know we can claim this promise? We must take this seriously, beloved. How do I know as just someone walking around, animated dust at the moment? I could expire tonight, so could you. For the moment, yes, I'm alive. I'm animated. I'm moving around. But how do I know this promise is for me? How do I know the troubles in my life are not actually leading to greater troubles at the end of my life? That the misery and the sorrow I feel now are not going to give way to more misery and more sorrow later. How do I know that the things that trouble me are actually going to work for my good in the end? I have to love God. 
I have to be able to fit into this description to be a lover of God. And you know, above every other mark in Scripture given about those who love God, there is one word that stands out. And if we don't have it, we do not have God. If we do have it, it is a sign that he has put his love for him in our hearts. And do you know what that sign is? It is obedience. Please turn to 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. This is throughout Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. Love for God and obedience are joined hand in hand everywhere and in every context. And we'll start with John because he just gives the definition. For this is the love of God. Okay, but does this Romans 28 belong to me? Am I a lover of God? For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome nor grievous. John is simply following Moses some 1,500 years earlier. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. This is one of the many verses we could look at in Deuteronomy, and we will look at a few others. Deuteronomy 11.22. Deuteronomy 11.22. Moses says here, If you diligently keep all these commandments, which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to cleave unto him. Notice here how he equates keeping God's commandments with loving the Lord, walking in his ways, and cleaving unto him. We don't look at it today, but we won't look at it today, but in Joshua 22.5, Joshua said the same thing. In Daniel 9.4, he said the same thing. In fact, to love God is so often equated in the Bible with obeying him that it is impossible to speak of one without the other. While we are in Deuteronomy, look at chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel... What doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and serve him with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you this day for thy good. Chapter 11, verse 13. And it shall come to pass... If you shall hearken diligently unto my commandments, which I command you this day, to love the Lord thy God. Chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. You shall not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of the dreams. For the Lord your God proves you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and cleave unto him. Chapter 30 at the end of the book. I bet you didn't know Deuteronomy rivals the Gospels of John for the references to love. No wonder it was the Savior's favorite book, Deuteronomy. Chapter 30, verse 16. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments. Then he goes on in the same chapter, verse 20. 
that thou mayest love the Lord thy God and that thou mayest obey his voice. I mean, these things are put in parallel so often that we should not miss it. But let's hear John again in his gospel. John chapter 14, verse 12, and in the same chapter, verse 21. I'm sure this verse will be immediately familiar to each one of you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he also do. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever you shall ask of my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is it that is a big, fat legalist. Is that what it says? Of course not. It says, he that hath my commandments and keep them, he is... He it is that loveth me. Now notice at the end of John's gospel that this connection between loving God and obedience can be made very practical in our own lives. John 21. This is a restoration actually of Peter that matches his threefold denial of the Lord. John 21.15. So when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas... Loveth thou me more than these? Do you love me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith to him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him a third time, Simon, of, Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him a third time, loveth thou me? And Peter said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. So in every possible way in Scripture, the Lord says, lovers of God are obedient to me. One other verse that might be read in this context is Psalm 97.10. This is actually the flip side of this, or we might call this a more negative side. But it's the same thing, just said in a different direction. Psalm 97.10. Ye that love the Lord hates evil. Now, we are fouled up with sin. We might say, oh no, I, I love God. Can't you hear my words? I love God. Don't you see my rituals? I'm lighting candles and I'm demonstrating out in front of the baby killing sinners. And I wear even a cross. Don't you see that I love God? Don't you see the works that I do? I pass out tracks door to door. Don't you see? Well, God says there's a surer way than all of your rituals, all of your experiences, all of your handing out tracks, all of your lighted candles. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, why this connection? Because when the Lord gives us this new birth, what does he do? Moses said it in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord will circumcise your heart that you may love him. Paul said it in Romans 5, 8. That when the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, when God gives us the new birth, He puts two things in our lives. 
fundamental things that define us. He puts a love for him that was not there before. And that love for him manifests itself in cheerful, sincere obedience to him. So before we claim such a promise as Romans 8.28, we need to seriously ask ourselves, since the Holy Spirit put it first, to those who love God, do we love God? Can we say with the psalmist in Psalm 119.5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes. Can you say with David in Psalm 119.20, My soul breaketh for the longing that it hath unto thy judgment at all times. Now we need to stress in our day and age especially, but in every day and age, the connection between loving God and obeying God. Because many untaught or poorly taught believers go around parading their myths with such attractiveness that this elementary truth is in danger of being lost. That the new birth consists of this double dynamic, the new heart, love for God, and cheerful obedience to God. But if we lose this, we also lose Romans 8.28 because this isn't just a promise that, well, Because I'm breathing and I'm basically a good person. And then you throw in the fact that I'm American and I'm white and I've been to college. Therefore, everything has to turn out well in the end. Wrong. The only way we can have confidence that God is working for our good is that we are lovers of him. Now, this leads me to make one other comment about the mark before we look at the rest of the verse. Now, hearing all of this so far, you're probably like, I thought this verse was supposed to be encouraging, but I'm depressed. Okay, well, I'm depressed too. Because you realize there is so much in me and you that offends. I mean, can I claim this promise? Well, see, there's another mark of those who love God, and that is they run to the cross. Because on my best day, I am filthy. On my best day, I'm altogether vanity. So when you look at your life with any kind of honesty at all, you're going to say with James, in many things we offend all. With my tongue, my thoughts, my relationships, laziness, whatever it may be. Oh, how I need Jesus. I need the blood and the righteousness and the intercession of the Son of God. And that's why David confessed at the end of Psalm 119, verse 176. And don't ever forget this verse. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. You mean after all those verses in this long, this psalm, this glorious psalm about loving God's law and delighting in it and wanting to keep it, this is what you come down to in the end, David? Yes, because as much as we say and we mean it, we love God's law and we want to obey Him, we are aware of another principle in us of disobedience. Like Paul said, there is another law in my member. That when I want to do good, evil is always present with me. So don't despair if you see sin in your life, beloved. Only despair if you are not running to Jesus. 
because of the sin in your life. Don't despair if you look at your life and say, okay, there is so much in me that is incomplete. My best obedience has holes in it. Oh, don't despair. As long as you're running to Christ and saying, but His righteousness, Father, His obedience, His merits, His intercession, His goodness is given for me, then you can claim His promise. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, the minister of Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. As always, it's a delight spending time with you here in God's Word. And if today's program has been especially helpful to you, we'd love to hear about it. Would you take a moment and contact us? Let us know how the program is encouraging you in Christ. It would mean a great deal to us. From time to time, we'd like to know how the program is being used by God. And that would be a great gauge for us, a quick letter or a phone call. Here's how to contact us, 408-866-5607. That's our phone number, 408-866-5607. Or you can write to us at PMB, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB for post mailbox, number 402. 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is the zip code. If you'd like to know more about Reformed Heritage Church of San Jose or Pastor Gary Wagner and Abounding Grace, you can visit our website, reformedheritage.org. That's reformedheritage.org. And leave us an email when you stop by. Let us know you paid us a visit. You're also welcome to, again, call. That phone number is 408-866-5607. If you'd like a copy of today's program, by the way, mention today's date when you contact us and we'll get a copy out to you. The cost is $5. And any amount you send above and beyond cost of resource materials will go right back into the radio program, as this is a listener-supported ministry. We're able to continue our daily presence here on this station as you continue to support us financially and prayerfully. We appreciate your help in this endeavor. Thank you again. For further information, reformedheritage.org or 408 408- 8665607 Until next time God bless Three-star general Michael J Flynn head of the Pentagon intelligence agency knew all the government's dirty secrets He was one of the most respected generals in the military Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to he understood its funding He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors This set off alarm bells The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.